0: Listen now for the word of God found in the Gospel of Luke, chapters 13, verses 10 through 17. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, but not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things being done by him. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Friends, let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts Be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I love a good rule. If you can see my children and my husband, they are nodding in their pews right now. I love the order that a good rule provides. There's a place for everything, a time for everything. Nothing is out of sorts when there's a good rule in place. Your shoes go in the shoe basket. Screen time happens after homework is done. It's one reason that I make a good Presbyterian flavor of Christian, because our denomination, perhaps you know, is known for doing everything decently and in order. When there's not a rule in place, instead of freedom, I start to feel a little anxious. How will we know how to behave? How will we know if we're being good? Can you tell I'm an Enneagram 1 and a firstborn? Sometimes this love of order serves me and my communities well. Sometimes, though, it can blind me to what's most important. The leader of the synagogue in the encounter that Clark just read for us has an important responsibility within the community. He is the one tasked with stewarding the Sabbath gift. He has been charged with ensuring the community's integrity to rest on the Sabbath day. This responsibility perhaps weighs on him. It is the lens through which he sees his community. And he fully understands that the Sabbath guidelines are there to protect a sacred gift. As one working preacher reminds us, the rather negative view that we can take towards the various restrictions associated with the Sabbath would have been very foreign to the community of Israelites. The law, including laws about the Sabbath, were given to them, remember, after their exodus from Egypt. The laws are a symbol of their freedom from what had enslaved them. The gift of Sabbath is freedom. And this is good news. The synagogue leader that day stands firm in his responsibility to care for this precious gift, to show respect and love by honoring it and not doing work, for he thinks that this is the way to honor the God who has freed them. And then there's a woman who comes in who scripture tells us has been bent over for 18 long years. Whatever has caused this has burdened her for so long that I imagine she's forgotten what it feels like to look another human in the eye. As I prepared for this sermon, I tried walking bent over for just a few minutes, you can try it later, to see what the perspective was. And as I expected, mostly I saw the ground and occasionally someone's feet. I got to see your pedicures, or your lack thereof. But what I didn't see was a shared smile. What I didn't see was eyes locked in solidarity and understanding. And if after a few minutes of this, I was ready for a different view of the world, imagine what it would feel like for this to be your daily view for nearly two decades. We're not told this explicitly, but I can imagine that this ailment caused her immense isolation as well. Perhaps her community had shrunk around her just as her field of vision had narrowed to just was right in front of her. And yet she returns, Sabbath after Sabbath, for the teaching, the ritual, the promised rest and renewal that worship provides. And on this particular Sabbath, she listens as Jesus teaches. One thing I noticed is that she does not request any healing. She's simply present, there with Jesus, looking down at the ground that she's looked at for so long. Makes me wonder, what was she thinking that day? Had she heard the stories of the healings that Jesus had been doing? Did she know the man with the withered hand that Jesus had healed just a few Sabbaths before? Did she come that morning expectant? Or did she come resigned? Perhaps thinking, well, today will be just like the Sabbath before. We'll sing, we'll pray, we'll hear God's word, and then I'll shuffle out, trying not to trip on my neighbor, whom I cannot see, still burdened and bowed down. I think some of the beauty of this passage is that we're not told what she thinks that day. Whether she is there because she knows Jesus to be a healer or whether she's there because that's where she goes on Sabbath. Jesus stands to teach and he looks out at the crowd that is gathered this particular Sabbath day. And from his perspective, he can see everyone. He sees the children fidgeting in their seats. He sees those who are hanging on his every word and the ones daydreaming about brunch. And as he looks out over the congregation this particular Sabbath, his sight catches on the very one unable to see him. He notices that burden that literally weighs her down bends her over, causes her pain and isolation. And Luke tells us that when Jesus sees her, he interrupts his own lesson and calls to her. This teaching and this interruption echo his first public act of ministry in the synagogue in Luke 4 when he stood on the Sabbath day and unrolled the scroll of Isaiah and read this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus, and then he said to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, today, on another Sabbath, Jesus fulfills the scripture yet again in their hearing. He sets her free right then on the Sabbath. You can almost hear the gasp in the text. There's praise, and there's rebuke. The woman stands tall for the first time in almost 20 years, looks her neighbors in the eye, and praises her creator. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. And competing for the crowd's attention is the synagogue leader shouting, Come another day for healing. Today's the Sabbath. You cannot come for healing today. Jesus speaks into this cacophony with his own rebuke. You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it to water? And ought not this woman, this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day? A daughter of Abraham, shorthand for she belongs with us. He asked, you would provide for the needs of one of your animals on the Sabbath without giving it a second thought. And yet... You think it's okay to leave a beloved child of mine here burdened and bound? Sabbath is gift and the gift is freedom. Freedom from whatever enslaves you, freedom from what binds you, freedom from what narrows your vision, what causes pain and isolation, marginalization, and even oppression. The leader of the synagogue and undoubtedly others in the Sabbath that day, they weren't seeing the larger purpose of the gift. No, they had narrowed their sights so closely to the letter of the law and everything being in its rightful place and time but they lost sight too. They lost sight of the divine promise to free them and all people from whatever burdens them, to free all for life and life abundant, the life Jesus promises. Perhaps today, there are those in the pews this morning who feel bent over with worry, with shame, with a burden that threatens to keep you bound in isolation. Perhaps you came this morning expectant, or perhaps resigned, to sing, to pray, to listen to God's word. Today, Jesus offers you freedom in his mercy and his healing grace. And I pray that you feel his gentle hand reaching out and touching your shoulder, saying, You, you beloved child of mine, you are set free from what binds you. And perhaps today there are some among us who need the loving rebuke of Jesus in order to see the greater picture in order to be reminded that Jesus brings freedom from oppression, justice, and mercy for all. And especially for any in our community whose very lives are bent down by injustice. Maybe there are some of us whose sight has been limited by the burden of perfection. So worried about getting the details right that sometimes we miss the purpose. Sometimes we miss that the work of the church is the work of our teacher, Jesus, who breaks down every single barrier in order to follow the law of love. Hear his rebuke this day as truth spoken in love and find ways to join him in the healing work of freedom. In the book, Tattoos of the Heart, the author tells this story of Dolores Mission, which is a church in Los Angeles who named themselves a sanctuary church and began to allow asylum seekers and undocumented people safe refuge in their church building and in particular in their sanctuary as a part of what they named the Guadalupe Homeless Project. Once the homeless began to sleep in the sanctuary at night, there was always the faintest evidence that they had. Come Sunday morning, they would foo-foo the place as best they could, sprinkling I love my carpet on the rugs, vacuuming like crazy, strategically placing potpourri and air wick around the church to combat this lingering, pervasive reminder that nearly 50 and later up to 100 men had spent the night in the sanctuary. About the only time they used incense at Dolores Mission was on Sunday morning before 7.30 Mass. Still, try as they might, the smell remained. The grumbling began to set in, and people spoke of churching elsewhere. This was just not right. The smell was never overwhelming, just undeniably there. And the Jesuit priest figures if we can't fix it, let's try to feature it. So they decided to address the discontent in their homily one Sunday. So one Sunday the priest stands up and says, so what does the church smell like? And people are mortified. Eye contact ceases, women search inside their purses for their chapstick, who knows what. Come on now, what does the church smell like? patas. Smells like feet, Don Rafael booms out. He was old and he never cared what people thought. Okay, but why does it smell like feet? Because many homeless men slapped here last night, says a woman. Well, why does that happen? Es nuestro compromiso. It's what we've committed to do, said another. Well, why would anyone commit to that? Porque es lo que haría Jesús. It's what Jesus would do. Well, what does the church smell like? A man stands and bellows, It smells like our commitment. Guadalupe waves her arms and says, Huele a rosas. It smells like roses. The packed church roars with laughter and a newfound kinship that embraced someone else's odor as their own. The stink in the church hadn't changed, the author says, only how the folks saw it. Their vision expanded now they could see the larger purpose, and with that expanded vision, so did their sense of why the sanctuary smelled like feet. It was no longer a problem to be solved. Rather, it was evidence that they were participating in Christ's healing and freeing work. May we, O church, have our vision expanded to the fullness of Christ's own So that any who are bent down, whether in this sanctuary or in our communities, may stand up straight and praise the Creator. So that those who worry about the proper place and time for justice may remember that Jesus' ultimate law is one of love and mercy. And that the time is always right. It's always now to bring Christ's healing grace into the life of another. Thanks be to God. Amen.